I want to invite you to turn Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be focusing on verse 7 and verse 8. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. We're in a series, for those of you that are visiting, we're in a series titled Waiting on God, where we are talking about what it means to wait on the Lord, even as we are anticipating the fulfillment of the promises that He has made to us. As I alluded to in my prayer just a moment ago, God is not man that He should lie. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that this morning? That when God makes a promise, God will not break His promise. Now, of course, there's conditions that He puts in place, right? Uh, we, can, we can't obligate God to have to do what He says He's going to do if we're not ourselves willing to do what He has called us to do. Obedience is part of how we demonstrate to God, I trust you. I trust your will. I trust your way. I trust your process. How many of you heard that, 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 that phrase, trust the process? Those of you that are basketball fans. Um, for many, many years, Philadelphia, the 76ers, were, they, were, they were stuck in mediocrity for years and years and years. And, and this is a franchise that was a very prideful franchise, has had a, a storied history in the NBA. And they came up with this phrase, trust the process, because it was meant to kind of assuage the frustration of the fans. The fans were getting sick and tired of losing season after losing season. And they were like, listen, we are going to shift allegiance to another team. And the team said, no, trust the process. Just trust the process. We know what we are doing. In time, we will begin to see success. And sure enough, um, given a little bit of time, they've begun to enjoy a great deal of success as a franchise. But when we hear that phrase, trust the process, especially as it relates to our walk with God and our relationship with God and allowing God to do what He wants to do in our lives, we must learn to trust Him. And part of trusting God is doing what He's asked us to do. We talked about this last week. Obedience is important if you and I are to, um, to do what God calls us to do. But how many of you will agree with me this morning that in as much as there are things that we desire to see God do in our lives, promises that we believe God has made to us, that at no point is it ever okay to justify doing what we think is best in order to influence or push God's will to work in our favor. Or another way of putting it, how many of you would agree with me this morning that it is never okay to justify a bad choice or a bad decision simply because of what it gets us? You've heard that phrase, uh, means justifying the ends or the ends justifying the means. It is this phrase that implies that sometimes people make, they rationalize decisions that they know are wrong morally, but in their mind, what makes it okay is the fact that it's going to bring out something good. We looked at the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, remember, two weeks ago, where we talked about, you know, God said he's going to make out of them a great nation. Um, he didn't, of course, give them a timeline for when he's going to fulfill this promise, but he made this promise. And we know that God is true to his word. He will do what he says he's going to do. Well... As is human nature, years has gone by and Abraham and Sarai are becoming nervous and becoming antsy and beginning to think, is God still going to do what he wants to do? And so Sarai, because in her mind she believes that God is not intending for her to be a part of this promise that he has made, that is only about Abraham and not including her, she goes to her husband and says, hey, this is what I think we should do to speed God's promise along. And of course, um, we, we talked about this two weeks ago, it was the wrong decision. Um, even worse, there are times where we do things we know we should not do. It is wrong. And yet in our minds, we justify doing it because we think, at least it gets me what I want. It gets me to where I want to go. It helps me to accomplish what I seek to accomplish. It's important for us to realize that, friends, there is no 
right reason for doing the wrong thing. Do you hear me this morning? There is no right reason to do the wrong thing. There is never a good reason for us to do something that God says violates his instructions, goes against who he is or what he stands for. I remember when I was growing up in Nigeria, um, when we, and many of you may be familiar with my story, but, but for those who are not familiar, um, the first time I came to the United States was when I was nine. My, my dad worked in oil and gas, and so we would travel around the world. Uh, many times, you know, we would get a chance to go with him. Sometimes we would not go because of the length of the time he was going to be away. And so this particular trip, we came to the United States. So Miami, Florida was where we lived. Uh, this was my first introduction to the United States, and I was only nine. And we lived in, in the U.S. about 18 months before we went back to Nigeria. And I remember um, we would see commercials on TV um, uh, promoting this video game system called Nintendo. And of course, video games were the rage back then. It was really like it was rich people that had video games. <laughs> these games were expensive. And so we, we would see these commercials on TV peddling these video games. And we would always tell our dad, Dad, we want, can we have one? And his response was always, no, 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 you don't need it, you don't need it. So eventually we just stopped asking. Well, Christmas Eve that year, I'm in my room sleeping. And my bedroom literally shares the wall with the living room. And I wake up hearing, do, 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 do. I'm thinking, what is that? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. So I get up and I sneak out of my bedroom and guess who is playing video games in the living room? My father. He had bought this Nintendo system and he was testing it out. <laughs> That's what he was telling me. He was testing out in the, in the living room while we were all asleep. Of course, I was super excited. I was so happy. And of course, my siblings were all excited. We got to really just play and enjoy ourselves. And some of the games we used to play back then were uh, Donkey, uh, Donkey Kong, Duck Hunt, uh, Super Mario Brothers. Fun games. I mean, games today, man, they are, they are way advanced compared to what we had. But still, at that age, I was so enamored. I was so enthralled with having a video game. So eventually when we moved back to Nigeria, we took that console back with us, right? And so um, during summertime, my dad had a rule that we had to uh, do tutoring, of course, to prepare for the next grade, um, which was always very beneficial for us. And so um, he had this rule that, you know, once you were done with your chores and you were done with all of your assignments, whenever he came home from work, then he would allow us to play video games for an hour or two. Well, you know, the problem was I was so infatuated with the video games that waiting for him to come back home was not, was not, was not going to work. And, and so I remember I would, I would find ways or find excuses to constantly want to play games. And I think my dad figured out that I was having a little bit of an obsession with these games. And so he decided he was going to hide the games. And so I remember one particular day I decided, I mean, that, that urge was so strong. I have to play. And so I called my siblings together. I'm the oldest, right? So I called them together and I basically twist your arms and say, you're going to be with me in on this. And so we decided to go into my dad's, my mom and dad's bedroom, and we ransacked their closets until we find where my dad had hidden the video game, and we brought the game out, and we played to our heart's content. Meanwhile, mind you, we're not doing our chores, we're not doing our assignments. Um, we played to our heart's content, and then go back and make sure that we put it back where we had left it, and make sure that nothing looked different, right? Like, you know, where we had put this was back where it was supposed to be, so he had no clue. And we did this for weeks. Until my brother, my youngest brother, and I got crossways, and he decided he was going to tell my dad what we've been doing. And I was looking like, dude, you're going to get beat as well. He's like, it doesn't matter. You're going to get beat worse. <laughs> so, so but, but, but when I was growing up, I mean, that was one of those things where I, I used to struggle with, is this mindset of, 
I want something so bad that I'm willing to do something that I know I should not do to get it. And I'm not, I know I'm not the only one. That's, that's, all of us have had that experience before. And it doesn't matter what context it is or where it may be, where we face that temptation. Even if you've not given in, but we all know what it's like to be tempted to compromise our values based on the idea that compromising that value will get us what we so desperately want. Um, I'm going to allude to a story in the Bible, even though that's not really the main focus of our scripture. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 is where we're focused on. But I'm going to allude to a story in the scriptures. It's a familiar story. It's a well-known story. It's the story of the Exodus, the Exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt to the Promised Land. And the scriptures tell us that for 400 years, the people of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were brutally enslaved. And you have to imagine that for, that for those people, they had to have thought to themselves, generation after generation has come and gone, and we remain in this condition. Nothing is ever going to change. And yet the scripture tells us in Exodus that God remembered his people. Not that he forgot about them. I believe that God has a time and a, and a place and a process for what he does. And sometimes it may seem like he's taking too long from our perspective, but from his, it is perfect timing. But the scripture tells us that God decided that it was time for the, the centuries-long uh, uh, oppression under the hands of the, of, the, of the Egyptians to end. And God raised up a man named Moses. Everybody say Moses. God raised up a man named Moses and said, you are going to be the one that I'm going to send to Egypt. And you will speak on my behalf and you will lead those people out of Egypt. And you will bring them to the promised land. Of course, on the journey to the promised land, God said, you will bring them to this mountain, the place where God revealed himself by way of a burning bush to Moses. Uh, Mount Sinai is where the scriptures tell us, God said, you are to bring people back to this place. And so the scripture says, Moses goes to Egypt. Moses engages Pharaoh. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and read the entire book of Exodus because it's a great narrative, in, 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 especially in the, in the topic of the power of God versus the power of man. You know, sometimes we think as human beings that, that it is our um, authority, earth, earthly authority that, 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 that gives us, uh, that, that can supersede or, or we can overimpose on God's authority. No, friends, there is no authority like God's. And we see this demonstrated in Exodus where Pharaoh begins to uh, resist God and God is responding back. And eventually Pharaoh says, you know what, leave. And God, God releases, uh, Pharaoh releases the, the Israelites um, in chapter 19 of Exodus, the scripture tells us that after three months of traveling, the Israelites finally reached Mount Sinai, this very place that God had revealed himself to Moses by way of a burning bush. Now the people of Israel, approximately, some historians estimate, 2.5 million people came to the foot of this mountain. And the scripture says in chapter 20 of Exodus that it is at this mountain that God then gives the people um, by, through Moses, uh, these Ten Commandments, these instructions that were meant to guide their relationship with him, but also guide their relationship with others as well. And then in chapter 24, between chapter 20 and chapter 24, we see God provide other directions, other instructions um, of, you know, with regards to worship, with regards to um, addressing disputes, with regards to their, their daily sustenance, um, resolving conflicts amongst themselves. God lays out all these instructions. And then we come to chapter 24 in Exodus where the scripture tells us that God, having revealed himself to the people and having you know, laid for them the, the foundation for how he wants them to live, how he wants them to relate to him and to each other, the people of Israel say to God, we will acknowledge 
every instruction you've given. They literally, as one person, respond to God saying, whatever you've asked us to do, God, we will do. And then we come to chapter 32. Scripture says Moses goes up to the mountain, as he's always done, to spend time with God, to meet with God, to receive directions from God. And while he's up in the mountain with the Lord, what happens? Scripture says that for whatever reason, he took longer to return than he normally did, and the people started to get restless. Remember, their mind was on the promised land, right? Because that's where Moses had said, God is going to take you to. So in their minds, they want to get there, and they want to get there as quickly as possible. So Moses has not showed up from the mountain for a while, and they're thinking, what has happened to this guy? Is he even alive still? And, and, and we can't just pin our hopes on this one person. Let us, let, us, let us take matters into our own hands and set ourselves on the journey to this promised land. And this is what they did. They went to Moses' brother, Aaron, and they said, Aaron, make for us a God who will lead us. And I do not know for the life of me why Aaron said yes. I do not understand why this man said yes. And yet... His, his next instruction with them, to them would be, bring me all of your gold, all of your jewelry. And this man uh, melts all of this and then he uses it to create this golden image. And he presents it to the people as their God. And while all of this is happening, God says to Moses, Moses, you need to get back down there. Because the very thing that they said they would not do, they are doing. What happened in their minds? Because they wanted to so desperately get to where God said he was going to take them. And because God was now moving according to their timeline, they thought it is okay for us to make a bad choice. Why? Because it would get us to what he has promised he would do for us. Again, remember what I said to you at the very beginning. You can never justify a bad decision simply because it gets you what you want. Every one of us will be tempted at, at some point in our lives if we already, already haven't been tempted. To justify doing what God has said is wrong. But in our minds, it's okay. Why? Because it will get us what we want. At no point, friends, is that ever okay in God's eyes. And if we are to learn to trust God, to trust His process, then we must understand the importance of obedience to the call that God has placed in our lives. And that brings us to our chapter this morning, chapter 3 of Proverbs, and verse 7 and 8. Because the preceding two verses are, are verses that you hear referred to often. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. If you, if you know that verse, say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, God, and He will direct your path. Many times we read that we say it. But verse 7 and 8 are just as important because verse 7 and 8 actually explain in greater detail what verse 5 and 6 has just said. Let's read that together. In verse 7, the writer of Proverbs says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So on the heels of God saying, Trust me with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding of how things should be done or how it should be managed or how it should be brought about. Acknowledge me. Acknowledge me say, it implies that we look to God and say, God, where do you want us to go? God, what do you want us to do? God, how do you want us to handle this situation? God, with this temptation that I'm facing, how do you want me to respond? With this opportunity that's in front of me, how should I act? God says we look to Him. We acknowledge Him. And trust that when we acknowledge Him, He will show us the path we're supposed to take. 
But in verse 7 and 8, he says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Again, because we have a tendency to think we know what's best for us. Not suggesting that we are not wise, not suggesting that we are, we are foolish by nature. I mean, I'm grateful for the wisdom that God gives us. I'm grateful for the knowledge that God gives us. But the reality is, is what we have, as good as it is, friends, it is nothing compared to God. And so God says, do not think that you know it all. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear me. Turn from evil. And in the heels of doing so, you will find healing and refreshment to your body. We're answering the question this morning, how do we resist the temptation to want to justify wrong choices? Again, I'm sure you will agree this morning that there have been times in your life where you were faced with pressure. Maybe it was at work. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the statement was said to you, if you want that promotion, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Or, or, or if you want to advance in this course, you need to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but we all know what it's like to be pressured to do what we know is wrong in our hearts. Why? Because it violates God's instruction. But we are so focused on, on, on the result, on the outcome, that we are willing to compromise. We must resist the temptation, and here's how. Scripture makes it clear to us in the verses we just read that it is simply this, by making choices that honor God. Simple. Every time you are faced with a choice or a decision, the question you must ask, will this choice honor God? It's not about the result. It's not about the outcome. Because that's what, that's what tends to be our focus. We focus on the outcome so anything goes, as long as it gets us where we want to go. But God is saying, don't be so focused on the outcome that you, that you forget about the importance of paying attention to the process. Is this choice I'm about to make, is it going to honor God? Does it violate His instruction? Does it go against His character? Does it go against His will for my life? Again, because here's the thing, friends, no matter how much we try to justify wrong decisions, God will never justify wrong decisions. Why? Because to justify wrong would be to go against His very nature. And we all know that God cannot go against His nature. God is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. That's, that's, part, of the, 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 that's part of what's so awesome about this gospel. Is that a holy, perfect, and righteous God said, there is nothing you and I can do to become right with Him. And so He did everything that was necessary so that we can become right with Him. So that at the end of the day, we don't boast in ourselves, but we boast fully and totally in Him. So again, we must always ask ourselves the question, is what I'm doing, or what I'm about to do, or what I'm thinking about doing, or what's being suggested that I do, is it going to honor God? The first thing we need to consider is this. The importance is not presuming to know better than God what is best for our lives. People of Israel were given a very simple instruction. In fact, it was the first of the two instructions that God gave. God said, do not worship any God but me. And then the second commandment is, do not create an image that looks like anything that is on the ground or beneath the ground. In other words, under the sea. God said to them, do not create anything that is meant to quote-unquote represent me. Because I am God and God only. And yet we find the people of Israel, immediately they find themselves in a place where they're not sure where Moses is or what the future looks like. That's the first thing they turn to. And what it does do is it points to what what exists within all of us. Where when we find ourselves in a place of uncertainty in our lives, we want to look to ourselves to address the issues that we're dealing with. We want to find the answers within. 
rather than looking to God. Isaiah 40 verse 28, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the hands of the earth, does not become weary or tired. And this is the part I love. His understanding is unsearchable. God's knowledge, God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's perspective, friends, it is far greater than what you and I can ever imagine. You and I cannot begin to scratch the surface of what God knows. And the things that God sees, the things that God understands, you and I can never fully comprehend. Why? Because unlike us, God is timeless and God is everlasting. Unlike us, God knows all things possible and he knows all things that are actual. Unlike us, God knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future. He knows you and I better than we know ourselves. Unlike us, God does not need to consult anyone for, his, for advice. And unlike us, friends, his knowledge cannot be measured. We must come to a place where, where, where we acknowledge that any choice that violates God's instruction is really not good for us. You understand what I'm saying to you this morning? In the same way that when our kids come to us and we tell them, we, tell them, uh, we give them a response to a, a request they make and it's not a response they like, that we say to them, I'm your parent, I know what's good for you. In the same way, we must learn to see our Heavenly Father as infinitely more wise than we are and trust His opinion. And so never presume that we know better than He does what's best for us. Never presume to think that, God, God, that God's interest for us should be questioned or even debated. The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired and His understanding is unsearchable. The second thing that I want to share with you this morning is this. We need to realize not only that we can't presume to know better than God what is best for our lives, but we also need to realize that resisting temptation requires our total dependence and reliance on God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is what the apostle writes. He's writing to the church. He's, he's encouraging the believers who were going through seasons of struggle and, 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 and despair and discouragement because of persecution that was rampant. And he says to them, he reminds them, about what they have because they are in Christ. He says to them in verse 3, God's divine power, that power that exists in you, that is in you, through the presence, the power, the work of the Holy Spirit in you, has granted to us everything. Everybody say everything. Peter says that divine power God has granted to us with everything pertaining to life and godliness through what? The true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. In other words, what he is saying is this. Our ability to live godly, our ability to, to experience all that God desires for to us to experience in this life is only possible first through our knowledge of him. And as we know him, we find the power to live for him. In other words, we can't do it without him. So what human nature likes to do is to say, um, I'm not... I'm not sure I can trust God in this matter or I feel like things are, are, are not moving at the pace or the direction that I wanted to go so I'm going to take matters into my own hands because subconsciously we're saying I think I know better than God but then what we're also doing is we're suggesting that we don't need God and how many times have we been reminded how much we need God I can raise both hands and both feet if I could to tell you example after example of times when I, I literally thought I knew better than God what was good for me and I fell flat on my face. And I had to go back to my Heavenly Father and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for questioning your way. Forgive me for thinking that I didn't need you. The, the, the enemy constantly wants us to feel like we don't need God. 
The enemy wants us to feel like we, we can do it on our own. But the word says that that divine power that is needed to live for God, to, to, do, to do the work he has called us to do, is only possible when we walk in knowledge of him so that we're able to do what he's called us to do. Because we are totally reliant on God, we discover that God is sufficient for us, that he is everything that we need, that he has everything that we need to be what he's called us to be. And here's the last point. We don't just presume to know better than God. We, don't, we must realize that resistant temptation requires total reliance on him. But we must also, and this is key, friends, embrace a lifestyle of obedience as the key to unlocking God's promises in our lives. We need to learn to see that obedience is the key to unlock the promises that God has made to us. Again, God is not man that he should lie. When God says he will do something, he will do it. But it is conditional. It is conditional. Because God is saying to you and I, what will you do in light of what I've said to you? When you and I came to faith in Christ, we did so on the basis of faith, trust that God is everything that he says he is and that he will do everything he says he will do. Does it mean that God is finished working in your life and my life? No. Every single day God is working in us. God is revealing himself to us. God is transforming and he's renewing our lives. But we must understand the importance of obedience in this process. Obedience is the key to unlocking God's promises in our lives. I want you to hear what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 22 to verse 25. The apostle writes, We prove ourselves doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. Look at this. He is like a person that looks at their natural face in a mirror. But once... They look at themselves and then they walk away. They forget what they have seen. Have you, has that ever happened to you before? Where you are getting dressed, you're getting ready, and you walk away and you think, did I put my hair? Did I, did I use makeup? You, you, you find yourself asking, did I forget to do something? You, you, forget, you forget what you just saw. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one. I mean, I don't have, I don't have any hair, but, you know, but, but still, I mean, there are times where I do forget. And I, I, think, I think to myself, did I do X, Y, and Z? This is the picture that James is painting. He says, we look at, the, uh, look at our faces in the mirror, and then when we walk away, we forget what kind of person we are supposed to be. God's desire, friends, is that you and I, as we grow in our knowledge of him, that we are applying that knowledge to how we live. That's what it means to, to, not, to, not, to not look in the mirror and then forget who you are when you walk away from that mirror. Verse 25 goes on to say, But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, it is this person that will be blessed in what he does. God's word says to us that it's not enough to simply hear the word, we need to do the word. And it is in doing the word that we are transformed by the word. This is why the scripture says obedience is better. Obedience is better. Obedience is better. Why? Because obedience unlocks the, the door to God's promises in our lives. We cannot expect that God will bless disobedience. We cannot expect God to bless us when we are walking in habitual sin. We can't expect God to bless us when we are walking in deliberate rebellion to his will for our lives. Friends, it doesn't work that way. We must allow the Holy Spirit as he searches our hearts to reveal those things in our lives that we are doing that are a contradiction of what God stands for and what God's direction for our lives is. And we must act in response. Not justify it, not excuse it, not act like it's not a big deal. Because if, it is, if, because if the Holy Spirit is, is willing to bring it to our attention, it is a big deal to God. And we must respond appropriately. Because again, without obedience, 
there is no transformation. And it is those who are truly free that are committed to obedience to God's word. Obedience has to be a lifestyle, friends. It cannot just be a habitual act or a habit or something we do just for the sake of maybe assuaging our own guilt or playing the part for others to see. Obedience must be a lifestyle. My prayer for every one of you and for me as well is this. God, help me, help us to be a people that when you see us, you see us as, as you did with David, a man, men and women who are after your heart. That God can look at us and God can say, you know what? No matter what I know, he is not going to compromise. No matter what I know, she is not going to compromise her values just to get what she wants. But she will always, he will always look to me. That's what it means to wait on God, friends. That when we, when we say, God, I know what you said concerning me. God, I'm going to trust that you're going to do it the way you want to do it. And I'm going to play my part in making that happen. Again, getting what you want does not always mean you've made choices that honor God. So the question always has to be, friends, is this choice I'm about to make, is this choice I'm being encouraged to make, is this choice I'm considering making, is it going to honor God? And if you can't even answer that question, then what it de demonstrates is that you don't know the word. If you can't answer the question as to whether a decision or choice is honoring God, it means you don't know the word. Number two, it means that you are not, you have not, you have not learned to, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's direction. Listen, the Holy Spirit is, is a gift. He is God's gift to you and I to, to, to embolden us and to empower us to live for him, friends. He's not meant to sit on the sidelines of our, of our Christian journey. He's meant to be actively involved. And we must learn to submit to him. So again, if we can't even ask the question, is what I'm about to do, what I'm thinking about doing, what I'm being told I should do, is it going to honor God or not? If we can't answer that question, then friends, we have to seek the Lord's face and say, Father, help me. Because I need to know your will. And God, I need to be able to walk in it. Because God's desire is that as we are submitted to him, as we are yielded to him, that our lives is that open book that others can see, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, the people that you meet at the gas station, at the grocery store, when they see you, when they engage you, when they encounter you, even if it's before for a minute, but that they can sense this person has been with Jesus. This person knows Jesus. This person, this person knows God. This person has a relationship with God. God has changed this person's life. Not that we're perfect. That's not what we're, we're called to project. We're called to project a life that is being transformed, being renewed, being changed because we know Christ. So that in seeing us, people are drawn to Him. That's what God is calling you and I to do today. And that's what I want to leave you with. That's what I want to leave you with. Let the litmus test for every choice in this union make going forward be, God, is this going to honor you? And if it's not God, give me... Lord, do not, do not let me be comfortable in sin. Do not let me be at peace with, with unrighteousness. God, let there be an uneasiness in me. I remember I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a few weeks back, and he was telling me that, that there were some habits that he had, and he, he, couldn't, he couldn't understand why he, why he wasn't able to break these habits until he finally got so desperate. He said to God, God, every time I so much as think of this, make me so sick. And that's exactly what's been happening to him to this day. Every time the thought of that thing comes to his mind, he says he becomes as sick as a dog. Because he said, he said there was nothing else I knew to do but to say, God, I am really serious about, about abandoning anything that, that, does not, that does not speak to 
who you want me to be, how you want me to live. And, and if I have to be at a place where I'm so uncomfortable, I'm, I'm in distress, at the, even at the thought of doing what is going to displease you, God, then, 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 then if, that's what, if that's what has to be, then let, let, let that be what, what my experience is. And, and, and he, he looks at it as, as, as a great check in his life. He says because, he says he knows that God recognizes that he truly is serious about living for the Lord. I'm not suggesting that that's what you should do this morning, but what I am saying to you is this. Are you willing to come to a place where you say, God, I, I am so desperately devoted to you and I'm so committed to living for you, God, that I don't want anything I do to ever displease you. I never want to justify what is wrong because, of, because I'm so focused on what I'm going to get as a result. Let us learn to, as that scripture says, we look to God, we trust Him, we acknowledge Him, Ask him to direct us and trust that he will do so. Amen. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I'm, I'm so grateful for what we have learned over these last several weeks, Lord, as we have been learning about what it means to wait on you. God, I pray this morning for everyone who's listening to the sound of my voice and myself included, God. God, because we recognize how easy it is for us, Lord, to try to justify doing things that we know we should not do but but we use the excuse of it'll get me what I want um, God forgive us for the times where we have compromised on the values you've established Lord but more importantly God we're asking Lord that you would give us wisdom give us grace give us strength father to be able to going forward father Learn to be led by your spirit. Learn to be in tune with your spirit and what your spirit wants to do in us and through us, Lord. Even, even the things that, humanly speaking, God, may, may, it may seem like the logical thing to do, to do what, what the world says we should do, yet when we are truthful in our own hearts, Father, if we are to truly, Father, wait on you, that we can trust that you will show us the way to go. That, God, even in the way that seems that seem to be no way, God, we can trust that, you can make a way. You can make a way. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would help us, Lord, to <coughs> be a people who are committed to living for you and to living in accordance to your will. And that, God, as we do so, that our lives will continually be transformed. Help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of the word every single day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.